1: Candace Parker is along with us tonight. And moments ago, Kristen Ledlow.
2: Parker, what a look inside. Kristen
1: Ledlow is on our sideline with the terrific Candace Parker. I'm Kristen Ledlow. I'm Candace Parker. And this is Ledlow and Parker. Welcome into the show. Who better to follow up Kobe Bryant than Charles Barkley? And who would be the only person to call Kobe Bryant out?
0: <laughs> Charles Barkley.
1: <laughs> well, all of you know him as a player, as a personality, but we know him as a person, and that's how we want to help you get to know him as well.
0: Definitely. And um, you know, obviously, we laughed, we joked. I there's cried. There's been some, yeah. There's yeah. been some tears yeah. and uh, <laughs> a few bets. We got a, we got an All Star bet coming at you. But first, let's take a trip around the association. Some of the top
1: storylines in a segment we like to call "That's What We Said."
0: I will handle it with dignity and class. You certainly messed up a lot more than I did. I think all of us just want to leave the league better than when we came into it. And that's what we said. That's what we said. We said. <laughs> And
1: that's what we said. We dive deeper into these NBA headlines. We're giving you our point of view on what makes it a story. Bold statements, main takeaways, and you know, you can agree or disagree, but that's what we said. First, let's journey back to last week because Kobe had said that this generation of players was finally starting to show a little more fight, a little less friendliness. And then, sure enough, Joel Embiid and Carl Anthony Towns gave us We're calling it an altercation. Is
0: that what we're calling it? We're calling it an altercation. Oh, well, it was an altercation, and it definitely was (laughs) entertainment. That's for sure. That it Uh, was. I went to my Instagram feed, and it was the entire, every type of just different position of the fight. Uh, You could focus in on Ben Simmons. You could focus in on Kat. I mean, there was an... You know, a a Wiggins jog down the court. There was an analysis of that.
1: Well, but what's crazy is now that's part of these altercations, that even part of their two game suspension was that they continued to escalate the altercation, which can happen on social media now and didn't happen before. It used to be that if a fight like this were to occur excuse me, an altercation like this were to occur, then you wouldn't get to see those two guys until they took the floor yet again. Do you like that now we get to see just a little bit more
0: after the altercation has concluded? Well, that goes with the NBA and its growth. I mean, you think about how much social media has allowed fans to have access to players' thoughts after bad games or issues that they have or excitements or when they win a championship, they're able to leave a message. It's the same thing with a fight. And honestly, it felt like back in high school where everybody would say, OK, these two are fighting. Everybody meet in the food court. That's what everybody was doing on Twitter, tuned in to who was, you know, going to throw the next blow. And, you know, it ended up being, I mean, my champion in the, tw- you know, the Twitter battle was definitely Joel B.
1: Right. I mean, I, mean, I feel like it- he's built for that. Do you agree then with Kobe that perhaps the friendliness is starting to fade? That we're seeing a little bit more fight in this generation of players.
0: I think so, but I'm I'm with Drake now. You know, trigger fingers turn to Twitter fingers. Mm-hmm. It's a whole lot of talking, um, more so talking than than doing. And at this point, I know everybody's going to be tuned in to the next game when Cat and Embiid, which is play March each other. the twenty fourth. That's gonna be something. You're probably on that game, Kristen. (laughs) (laughs) You'll probably be able to do halftime walk offs with both of those players. My
1: schedule just changed, and I'll probably have
0: to be there for that. You know, I'll be honest with you. You know, whenever I've been in altercations, that's what we're calling it, I always rewind the tape and I see where my teammates are. And if I'm Cat, I'm rewinding the tape because at what point? Where were my teammates when Ben Simmons was playing peacemaker with me in a headlock? Right. Are on the we floor. Calling, are we calling the chokehold now the peacemaker? I don't understand how that was considered a peacemaker. But, you know, I, I – listen, there were questions whether Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons got along. And Ben Simmons was – I mean, he was the closest – but he came to to defend Embiid who actually he was still had cat in a chokehold and Embiid was celebrating with the bench after the altercation.
1: Okay, so you were before my dear friend and podcast co-host, one of my favorite players. One of the reasons you've always been one of my favorite players is because you've never shied away from an uh, <clears throat> altercation. Do you hold on to those things? One- It's done. Do you look forward to seeing that player again the next time you're going to face up? At what point do you say, this is done, we've moved on?
0: I don't think it's ever. I think it's always in the back of your mind when you play, you know, these players years and years and years later. Uh, You know, my rookie year, we got into a little something with Detroit. And years later, that still crossed my mind when we were playing. Whoever was, I mean, they could change teams. Right, yeah. And now when you add Twitter to the mix... And Cat, who didn't win that fight either, and I love Cat. I think he's playing well this year. I think he's gained a lot of respect this year with the way that he's attacked this season. But just the optics. I mean, you have your mom trying to fight. Joel Embiid attacks that. But the pictures that he posted, the,
1: the optics there, I mean, it looks like he perhaps could have won the fight.
0: Huh. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love you, teammate, but I'm going to have to uh, uh, disagree with no, you on but that I, one. I'm
1: just pointing out the out-of-context internet is going to pick and choose what they want to see, and that's exactly what happened with this altercation.
0: Exactly, but the, the worst part is when you lose a fight and you lose the game, and mm. that's the biggest thing is Minnesota hasn't made the playoffs. And I know, you know, until Cat makes a playoffs and makes a splash – I mean, he's always gonna have this Joel Embiid. I mean, when somebody says they own you, yeah, they own and you. Joel, I mean, that takes you back. Uh, yeah. I, are you a Karate Kid he's, fan? The, yes. The, I own you, Larusso. <laughs> like,
1: no, man, right. you, you can't let that happen. Joel is the last person you want in your head. It's one of the reasons he thrives. I mean, how many times has he talked about or tweeted
0: about building real estate in somebody's head? I mean, that's his advantage, and but. I, I don't want to fight Joel. I don't know many people in the league that would want to fight Joel Embiid, <laughs> let alone play against him on the basketball court. But yeah, I think he he wins that. Well, Kristen, um, you know, in other news, we we were here last week with uh, with Zeke, obviously a dear friend of mine. Uh, and another thing with the internet is it allows NBA players to get on and talk, but it also allows fans and different people to give opinions on things that I think have been taken out of context.
1: And we were coming off of a highlight between the Lakers and the Grizzlies and you Candace had pointed out who does that when it comes to Anthony Davis's abilities above the rim. The Hall of Famer Isaiah Thomas is sitting next to us. He then says, So Candace, let me ask you this question because you you have a similar skill set to AD with the exception of, you know, his jumping ability, dunking and everything else. Of course, then the out-of-context internet comes to jump to
0: your defense when you hadn't even asked for it. But here's the thing. I don't think even sitting there we felt like this was going to cause any problems until after the show when we saw on Twitter a couple things. And then when I landed in California, we felt the need to have to say something because anybody that watches the game of basketball would understand that it was indeed a it was indeed a compliment in what he said and in no way did I take offense to it and I think now society is so quick to jump on things and to make it sexist to make it political to make it racial in some way when some things aren't I mean the reality is, Most of the guys in the NBA cannot do what Anthony Davis does. (laughs) Right. Well, and and so like you said,
1: that's a compliment to say that apart from what we just saw him do above the rim, your skill sets are similar. I mean, that's comparing you to one of the best
0: in the NBA. And that's the thing is, you know, I, I joked with Zeke after the show. I was like, you know, now if you would have said, you know, Jokic (laughs) is ten times more athletic. I would have been like Zeke, come on on the show. Okay, well
1: now we know for sure that he's not going to come on the podcast. And
0: Jokic is one of the best to ever do it. But in comparing (laughs) Anthony Davis to Jokic, I'm sure athleticism would come up. They're both extremely talented in how they play the game. Very effective. But we would in no way say or shy away from saying that Jokic is less athletic than Anthony Davis. Without a doubt. But
1: we've created this clickbait culture where we're not as concerned with the content context were far more concerned with responding quickly rather than calmly or rightly. I felt the need to respond for a couple of reasons. One, because I had come back to the studio that day and I had run into Isaiah and I saw how hurt he was that the number of people who had not just been watching the show, but who had pulled that nine second clip and decided to comment on it, then were all sending the hate his way. I felt the need to back up one of my teammates. You talk about going back to look at the tape as to who shows up in a fight and who doesn't. I thought now's a chance to back up one of
0: our teammates. And you know, Kristen, to add to what you you said, Zeke is in fact one of my biggest supporters. Yeah. The day after the Sparks season ended in the fashion that it ended in, he, he didn't text, he picked up the phone and called and left me a, an amazing voicemail and just said, whenever I'm ready to talk, after USA Basketball, same thing. I run into him, talk. So he's been in my corner and respects and understands me as a basketball player, but also in women's basketball as a whole, he's worked, you know, he's worked in women's basketball and has the utmost respect for it. And so I was more disappointed in the way that people reacted. In no way did we feel at all. Well, that was the second reason I felt the need to respond
1: was that The number of people who thought they had to come to our rescue rather than trusting that if either of us or both of us or just you or just me had felt offended in that moment, that we wouldn't have had the guts to speak up and instead allow them to speak up for us and to create a story that wasn't there.
0: No, the story wasn't there. Uh, I was blown away that, you know, that much attention was dedicated because I was calling that. you, you're on a exactly. plane. Exactly, I was you th- yeah. really confused. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, I just landed, let me get my coffee. All right, wait, oh, hold on. here we are. Exactly. I love,
1: though, that we have spent so much time talking about fights as opposed <laughs> to friendliness because it leads flawlessly into our episode two guest,
2: Charles Barkley. Now you just sit at home in your grandma's basement with the drawers on, <laughs> shut the hell up. It's oh by Charles Barkley. I am not a role model. Guaranteed.
1: We want to give the fans a chance to get to know the Charles Barkley that we know. Charles, welcome in. Thank you for taking the time. But first and foremost, you said you don't listen to podcasts. You weren't going to subscribe. I mean, can we teach you how to do this, or what does it
2: take? You know, I might do it just to be a good company man and listen to y'all, too. You might. I might wait. First of all, it depends on who y'all got on the show. Well,
1: we had Kobe Bryant, and now we have you. So, well,
2: listen, I know Kobe well. Uh, he probably didn't see anything that was earth shattering. <laughs> you know, so what? Well, he, hey, so Chuck. You know, hey, listen, I love Kobe Bryant. He's one of the greatest to ever doers. You gotta admit he's boring as hell. Stop it.
0: <laughs> well, Chuck, what guest would you want to listen to? Right. What guest would get you to subscribe?
2: Um, let's see. Does it, wait, so are y'all only doing basketball people? No, no it can be anyone. It can be
0: anybody, anything.
2: Well, you know, uh, Eminem.
0: Oh, oh, that's that. That's a new one. I would not have. Okay. That's yeah, a good idea.
2: Uh, Snoop
1: Dogg. Oh, he's already on our short list. He doesn't okay. know it yet. but.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah, those are two guys that I'd really be interested in listening listen to what they had to say. Because, you know, I think a lot of times people don't realize uh, what guys are doing on the side. I mean, like, I, I love talking about politics. You know, I love talking about different things. I don't like just talking. First of all, I have to get sick of talking about basketball because I have to do it every single day.
0: <laughs> well, a part of our show is about bigger than sports. Like, our, our purpose is to go in depth with the people, the people behind the people, you know, their craft, what their, their joys, everything, their struggles are in life. And so for us, we would love people to get to know you. Because like you said, you you get on and you talk basketball all the time and everybody loves you for it. But I don't really think people understand how great of a guy you are. And Kristen and I know firsthand. So we'd like to talk about a little bit about your upbringing, your childhood, the people behind you.
2: Uh, You know, I grew up in a small town in Alabama, uh, Leeds. It's about 20, 30 minutes outside of Birmingham. Started out in the projects. Uh I had a great mother and grandmother. Uh, my mother was a maid. Uh, my grandmother worked in a meat packing factory. And they did amazing because I had three brothers. Two of my brothers have passed away. I got one brother left and four nieces. I always look forward to going to my hometown because, you know, I actually think it just helped me. Because I feel bad for some kids who grew up in Chicago or New York all the crap they have to deal with. You know, they got all the violence uh, around. Uh, you know, like growing up in big cities, there's a lot of stuff going on. But going up in my little hometown, I never worried about violence. Sports were a big deal. Uh, even when I sucked at sports, they were still a big deal. Because, you know, when you're in a little small town like that, all your self-esteem is really dictated by how good your high school teams are. It's true. So we had success in basketball and football. Uh, You know, it was a really big deal. And the whole city revolved around every Friday. It was automatic. We were going to the football game if they were home. And every home game in basketball, it was packed. We always had a good team in both sports. We always had a good team. Uh, because guys, uh, they looked at that as a way to get out of that environment. You know, I told guys when I first started playing basketball, I had no idea that I was going to ever play in the NBA. But I was—I used to say to myself, I just want to go to college for free.
1: And Charles, uh, Candace had the idea... Yesterday, the day before, perhaps, that we called our dads and asked them their memories of your playing career and when they knew that you could be one of the greatest of all time. I know that you know my dad, and I know that you know that he grew up in Alabama as well. And when he was talking to me on the phone, he told me that the reason he played basketball is because he knew he'd be given a free pair of shoes every season, and he knew he could wear those shoes to school as well. What drew you to the game, and perhaps even away from sport like football, where maybe you were even a little bit more built for?
2: Well, first of all, uh, growing up poor, I got one pair of shoes up to of the season, and my mom would bring them to the game, and then she would come and get them after the game. They had to last me the whole season. I didn't get to wear them. Until after the season, once it was over, I started doing some illegal things to be honest with you guys, and I just didn't feel like I was stealing for no reason uh, and I just like, "Hey, you know this ain't the road I want to go down and I, I said, "Let me play basketball. I played football one day, then I realized they were damn nuts." <laughs> Hey, I I tell people all the time, I remember the last thing the coach said to me. He said, I'll see you tomorrow. I almost broke my neck, turning my shoulders around. I'm thinking, like, you think I'm going to do this stupid stuff tomorrow? (laughs) You know, know, that's the reason football and boxing are my two favorite sports, because I think it takes tremendous courage to do either. But I played football that one day, and I realized, like, I'm not built for this. Chuck, one
1: day. (laughs) One day. (laughs) Where then, though, did your tenacity come from? Because you did have this me-against-the-world kind of attitude while playing.
2: Well, you know, that was some personal stupidity on my part. Uh, There was a couple things. So. You know, nobody thought I was going to be any good at basketball, and I wasn't very good in the beginning, but then when I grew from 5'10 to 6'5 in one year, I got really good at basketball. And I was angry at my dad for not being there. I was angry at this teacher named Ms. Gomez because I flunked Spanish and didn't get to March. And probably the, the most traumatic thing was me. I actually went next door to the baseball stadium and watched the entire graduation, and I cried the entire time. Then that night, I said, hey, I'm never going to let anybody else control my destiny from that point on. So, uh, like I say, I was mad at my dad. I was mad at Ms. Gomez, and every time I stepped on the basketball court, all I thought about was sticking it to everybody who who had always wronged me my entire life. And I played really, you say tenacious, I played angry. Mm. And it wasn't until the spitting incident in New Jersey that was the turning point for me. Because, you know, I got suspended, rightfully so, for doing something stupid. And when I was sitting in the room by myself, you feel like such a loser, and I had to sit back, why are you so angry? I'm like, you're living America's dream. I mean, you're a young kid making a gazillion dollars. Why are you unhappy to play a stupid game like basketball? And I had to sit back and say, man, listen, it didn't work out between your mom and dad. Let that go. I didn't. I flunked Spanish because I flunked the exam. It wasn't Mrs. Gomez's fault. Like, every time I stepped on the court, I was just angry. And then when I was sitting in the hotel that night, I said, hey, you know what? Just play basketball to be great at basketball. Don't be mad at, and, and just play basketball to be great. Because if you go back and you look, and uh, I'm not casting aspersions on other people, you look at a uh, Dennis Ryman, a Mike Tyson, a uh, Ron Artest, Metal World Peace. If you play a sport angry, it's not a matter of if you're going to cross the line, it's just a matter of when. And I had to really take a step back and say, "Hey, man, just play basketball to be good at basketball." So that's where my tenacity came from. But I had to ring, ring, ring it in because I was out of control. My first, because I was mad at. I was trying every time I went to play a game. I was like, "This is everybody who'd ever wronged me in my life." I was trying to get them, and uh, I had to grow up and get it together.
0: Well, Chuck, Kristen, and I. We know you as the generous man that you are in the sense of whenever we're anywhere, you're always at the bar (laughs) and you keep the tab open and we have fun and we drink sometimes a little bit too much and... I have you to think for the twenty pounds I gained.
1: First of all, she got in trouble. I got in trouble because
2: she showed up to training because I showed up too heavy.
0: Exactly, (laughs) my first time in my life. So I have you to think for that.
2: But well, well, let me just tell you this. Uh, Number one, they asked a guy one time why he robbed a bank. He says that's where they keep the money. <laughs> the reason I'm always at a bar, that's where they keep the alcohol. <laughs> <That's> fair. <laughs> you know, that's what the fun times are. Well, I but... learned
0: I learned that in my rookie season at Turner. That um, yeah. You know, more times than not, I was I was there with you when when it was closing <laughs> down. And well, I well, learned see,
2: you made the mistake. You you said you well because I, I make no bones, I like to drink, and you said I like to drink.
0: I do, and, and you say, so far I haven't I, you lost. You want to challenge
2: me? <laughs> And the thing that I had to tell you was, you know, I've been practicing a lot longer than you
1: have. <laughs> he has a fair point. Hey, hey, I've been practicing I, I mean, beginner's a lot luck was longer pretty, pretty at this stuff
2: than you have. <laughs> You're still a young kid compared to me. Oh, I've goodness. been practicing a lot longer at this drinking thing than you okay, have. Okay, <laughs> well, I
0: learned a valuable lesson, as did as did Kristen. but. Getting back to that, just oh
2: oh oh, listen. <laughs> no, no, Charles, no, we're not yes. gonna do it. We're
0: not gonna do it. I know where you're going, and I have to. I, have I know you are going. I know you're going to New Orleans. I'm gonna be the Charles. I'm gonna be the peacemaker. I'm Ben Simmons. <laughs> I'm putting Ch- I'm putting Chuck in a headlock right now. Yep. A headlock
2: or a chokehold. <laughs>
0: yeah, thank yeah you. either or.
2: We're calling the chokehold now. The
0: peacemaker. It's, it's a peacemaker. But- but- yeah, but hey, Melissa,
2: but you know what's so funny? Like we had so much fun on the show last week talking about a fight. I just. Hey, maybe I'm. Hey, I must be getting old because I think in a fight you're supposed to throw punches. (laughs) I mean, I don't think technically when two guys are snuggling each other, hold each other tight, that can technically be a fight.
0: You know what, Chuck? Here's my question to you: What is one altercation slash fight that you've either been a part of or seen and been like, okay, that's a fight?
1: That's right, because you tend to, to to just shrug these things off.
2: I've been in two NBA fights, the, the, the one with Dr. J and Moses Malone and, 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 uh, and Larry Bird, and I'm still mad to this day that the NBA fined me because I was actually trying to play peacemaker. What I didn't know when I was holding Larry Bird, Dr. J was punching him in the head. <laughs> and, to, hey, and I'm not lying. Even to this day, I'm still pissed that they fined me. First of all, I would never hold a man and let another man, even if he's a teammate or enemy or whatever. I would never hold a man and let another man hit him. I just happened to be standing beside Larry Bird when the fight. I just grabbed him. I didn't see the tape until later that while I was holding him, Dr. J was clocking him in the head like five or six times.
0: Well. Well, Chuck, who's a guy in the NBA that you don't think anybody
2: would want to fight? Like, who's the
0: toughest? Is there there anybody that you think is legit?
2: I don't think anybody's going to be messing with Russell Westbrook. That's true. Uh, That man, he's one of the players I really respect and Mm -hmm. admire. And he's one guy. uh, You know, somebody asked me recently, I was doing something like, could any NBA player play pro football? I said, I'm not sure. Because uh, it takes a certain amount, and then I said Russell Westbrook can play any sport. That dude is a—it's a machine. Uh, you know what? And I might have to put Kawhi Leonard on that. I don't know what position he'd play, hmm. but that guy is a natural. He is—I call him the cyborg. He's unbelievable. <laughs> He's a machine. I, mean, cause I know. Hey, listen. A lot of these guys—I mean, all of them. Everybody in the NBA got talent. Everybody in the NBA has got talent, but like. It takes a special person to play football. I mean, those guys out there, those are real men out there. To just run into people full speed just for the hell of it. Like Everybody could do it one time or two times. But to make a living doing it, you (laughs) have to be a special type of person.
1: And to come back tomorrow, as you said. Listen, listen,
2: I didn't come back tomorrow.
1: (laughs) But you did, though. Attack life after basketball with a similar tenacity, you've become, I mean, the all time great sports personality, probably TV personality in its entirety. How hard was that transition?
2: It was pretty easy. Uh, when, when, when my mentor, Dick Ebersall, mentioned to me, Charles, I want to talk to you about your future. And he said, I think you're going to be great on television. I said, I hadn't even thought about it at the time. He says, now, you're always going to be in trouble. I'm like, that's not a good sales pitch. <laughs> he says, you're going to be great on television, but you're always going to be in trouble. And I said, what does that mean? He says, if people, they say they want honesty, but they really don't want honesty. You know, fans want you to tell them their team is great, their favorite player is great, and the players want the exact same thing. Every player wants you to tell them they're great. They never play a bad game. Uh, they never do anything stupid off the court. And, you know, it doesn't work like that. Like, sometimes guys play bad. Stars play bad. Role players play bad. Coaches make bad decisions. And if you're going to be honest, you're going to get some negativity back. I've had a bunch of coaches call me. I've had a bunch of players call me. But, you know, I'm always going to be honest and straightforward. That does not mean that I'm right all the time. But I think you have an obligation because TPA is so powerful because people believe what you say. Uh, They're never. uh, So you have an obligation to be honest, even if it gets you in trouble.
0: I've learned that this year that there have been a number of players that have sometimes given me the cold shoulder. And and looked at me crazy um, when I try to say hi or whatever because of what I've said about them in the past. Yeah. Has there been any specific players in, in time that you've lost relationships with over something you've said on air?
2: Well, I think, you know, me and Kobe Bryant had a really good thing one night. But one night, remember the night he wouldn't shoot the ball?
0: Yes, against, uh-huh. was it Phoenix? Hold on, was it uh, that series? It was series? against
2: Phoenix. And yep. we had that game. And I just couldn't hold back. I said I was so disappointed in Kobe Bryant. He wouldn't take these shots, and uh, he was trying to prove a point. But he, what he did was was just wrong and unprofessional. Blah blah blah. So you know, we worked at like two two in the morning. So Kobe starts texting me, calling me every name in the book about two in the morning. <laughs> somehow and that we doesn't go back surprise and forth me and, we, and I said Kobe I I'll explain to you what I what I said what I said and blah 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 and we must have texted each other 20 times he would never call me but he must he must have called me mf sob over and over for 2 hours and I can laugh about it now Uh, But listen, I had to do my job, but it was really, really, uh, because I think he's a good dude, but it was really funny that he wouldn't just pick up the phone and let me call. But he texted me like 10, 15 times, calling me every name in the book. It was hilarious.
1: Well, then after nearly two decades of doing this on television, what keeps you working?
2: I love, I love my job. You know, every night that we go to work, I can see something Spectacular. <laughs> I mean, every game is different. Like anybody who broadcasts sports, there's something you can see every game that you're like, wow, that was that was worth watching. That was great. Uh, let me give you an example. That game last year, Kawhi against the Sixers. Yeah. Probably never gonna see another ball that bounce on the rim four times before it goes in. I mean, that was incredible. And to be at that game, I mean, think about it. That was a game seven. Yeah. And it comes down to a ball that bounced on the rim four or five times. When I was there the night LeBron scored 30 straight points. I mean, I was like, did I just see an NBA player score 30 straight points? That is crazy. You know, I've been there when James Harden scores 45 against the Warriors last year and hit like three threes with four, three or four guys hanging all over him. Uh, I've seen Kevin Durant go crazy,, yeah. but every single night you, you there's something can happen in a game that's worth the price of admission i mean that's the thing that's the beauty of sports and yeah. uh, and and listen, I'm gonna watch the games anyway. Yeah. <laughs> You know, you've told both Candace and me
1: this. You're right. If you're going to watch him anyway, why not get get paid paid for
2: it? Wait, y'all going to pay me to watch. uh, (laughs) I watched LeBron for the last 10, 15 years. Kevin Durant. You know, uh, I mean, Russell Westbrook, James Harden. I I get paid to watch Giannis play now. I mean, come on, man. I, this is the easiest <laughs> job a person going to ever have. And
0: hang out with us. And you get to hang uh, out. And listen, exactly.
2: And you guys are so talented uh. and know the game. I mean, and see, the good thing about, I mean, especially you, Christian, you're actually at the game watching. Yeah. So that's even more special. We only go very rarely to the games. I would love to do more games because when you're there, there's an energy at sporting events. It's crazy. I mean, there's a there's an energy when you in the building. Like even though Golden State, like last week when they opened up that new arena and we were there, it was so exciting. And then think about it, we were at the Lakers Clippers opening game, and the, and I talked to a couple of the people there. They had more credentials than they do for the finals. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, we'll Chuck, the the thing that I've loved watching on television and now being a part of it is exactly what you just showed, is your excitement for basketball and your growth with the game. I mean, now people tune in to watch NBA to see what you are going to yeah. say. I will tell you, my grandmother, before she passed away, watched. She cooked her dinner early so she could watch <laughs> and see what Charles Barkley was going to say. So with that, what is one of your uh, biggest takeaways? What has basketball given you uh, the most?
2: Everything in my life. Mm. I mean, uh, everything in my life. Number one, it gave me an opportunity to give a lot of stuff back to my family that you know most people who work nine to five can't do. Uh, I have met some of the most amazing people in the world. I've been around the world. I can never repay basketball for what it has given me. I mean, you're talking about a a, a short, fat kid from Leeds, Alabama, who grew up <laughs> to be Charles Barkley. I mean, I, and, and I mean that sincerely. The stuff that has happened in my life, even if I'm the most cocky guy in the world, I never would have said, hey, I want my life to be like this. I mean, it's been incredible it is all because of that little stupid little ball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was a clip
0: from last year you were on a podcast. Uh-oh. It uh, was uh, a Dan- it was Dan Patrick last year. So there no, was it a- wasn't
2: a podcast. It was just a show. Oh,
0: okay, excuse me. It was a show. And on the show you basically say that there's no way that I can beat you in basketball. Do we have the clip? We have can the we clip? play Hold the clip? All let's right, listen it. to this. Let's play let's run the clip. Are you saying se- Candace Parker would beat you one on one, Chuck? Chuck,
2: You have let's do let's raise some money for charity. Oh Let God. me go. Hey, listen, I love working with Candace, she's very talented, she does a fantastic job. But a woman can't beat me in a sport, Dan. Stop it.
0: <laughs> Dan Charles. Candace Parker is in shape,
1: is young, she's good, she's a baller.
2: Well, first of all, she's not that young. Uh, but dad, <laughs> <laughs> she, she then, first of all,
0: not only did you speak about my skill, you spoke about my age, right. which is a cardinal sin. But anyway, I'm going to let that go. So listen, I have a proposition for you. Okay. We're going back home to Chicago for All Star. You said that you wanted to raise some money for some charity. All right. I've seen you do a couple races and have to pay up with a couple bets of kisses mm-hmm. and all that. We won't get into that. Let's do something in Chicago.
2: Let's do it. Uh, let's just let let's do it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll take the stutter as you're ready. Let's do it.
2: Hey, let, we have a bet.
1: Thank you, Chuck. We, though, do have to play a game with you before we let you go. Okay. So we've named it What the Chuck? Or guarantees. Okay. <laughs> you like it's that game, lead. Chuck? You like I like it. That. It's a All right, good game, right? So we're going to make a bold statement, and you're going to either give us the what the Chuck? It's Chuck, by the way, just to clarify. Yeah, there's no or, cause button on yeah. here, so it's it's, <laughs> yeah. it's Chuck. We have no curse button, unfortunately. Okay. I got you. Or if it's a guarantee, you let them know. So just for example, here's the first one. Zion Williamson will go on to have a better career than LeBron James. What the Chuck? (laughs) I had a feeling.
0: (laughs) All right, here's another one. Steph Curry will win another MVP.
2: What the Chuck?
0: Oh, Oh, really? Okay. No,
2: he won't win another MVP, I don't think.
1: All right. LeBron James will come on Inside the NBA. (laughs)
0: Guaranteed. <laughs> I think you got invited last year. When you they tried didn't make the, yeah, several when times. They didn't make the playoffs. Yeah, it's 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 coming. Yeah. So uh, Chuck Kenny goes all season without showing up late to work, or as I was a part of the van to
2: the oh, event.
1: Right. See that's oh, the main. Gar- <laughs> oh, no! What
2: the Chuck? <laughs> yeah. Kenny's gonna be late. He can't happen.
1: Always. Right. Always. All right. How about this one? The Knicks will win an NBA championship before 2025.
2: Oh, what the 2035?
1: 2045? Oh, no, I mean they are
2: probably three years away from being like uh, at least three years away from being really good. Oh,
0: huh? Well, that, I so would you think it, that's pretty? Pretty
2: generous. No, 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 I'm saying uh, that's just being, I said, pretty good. Okay. All
1: right. But not a a championship contending team.
2: No. They're not even the best team in New York. (laughs) (laughs)
1: All right. Well, uh, then we have to end on this one. Auburn will win the Iron Bowl.
0: Guaranteed! Here, here's the thing, Kristen. Here's the thing. (laughs) I had so much fun a couple weeks ago. Actually, it was last week. (laughs) Facetiming him when my Tennessee Volunteers beat South Carolina. Yeah, and his Auburn (laughs) Tigers struggled. I mean, you guys put up a great fight against LSU, but they. Hey, what did
2: I tell you? I said, Candace, you did. I didn't even know you were going to Knoxville either. Yeah, you guaranteed it. Hey, I'm getting ready for my football weekend. I'm guaranteeing a Volunteers win. Yeah, but you guaranteed an
0: Auburn win, too. So I was a little uh, nervous. You guarantee well, a this, lot of things. Uh,
2: I had to say we were going to beat LSU. <laughs> uh, I, I, realistically, I didn't think we were going to beat LSU. Well, then realistically,
1: realistically, then, do you Then you, you should have the chalk? Well, the, no. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. Not the, about the, the LSU. No.
2: The, 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 the Alabama game is Alabama. in Auburn. All right. I didn't think we were going to go down to Baton Rouge and win. I'm not going to tell that Okay, that's fair. That's fair. So So realistically, they're coming to Auburn this year.
0: Well, I still, um, Auburn. Okay. Okay. (laughs) What are we betting on that, uh, Chuck? (laughs) Uh, Can we get charity involved somehow?
2: a, just a nice meal
0: Just a nice meal? Okay I just have a, a membership nice I have a membership somewhere yeah. So
2: we'll, we'll go that, that, That's not the place we're going Oh that, you know, that's right all You don't right. like sushi well, You
1: know what We'll have our people Call your people then. I'm sure we'll we'll try all to right. get hey, Next time we go out
2: No more sushi for Chuck Alright
1: <laughs> First of all It's healthy for you And we love you Charles We know that we've got to let you go But thank you so much
2: Hey, it's a pleasure. Hey, good luck with the podcast. I might have to get a subscription.
1: <laughs> we love you, Charles. Thank you for everything. Hey,
2: girls, y'all. Hey, y'all, keep up the great work. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you, Chuck. Thank
2: you. Okay, for sure.
0: New segment alert. Yes. Yes, and uh, <laughs> Kristen, obviously, this uh, you go out on the road a lot, and so we were brainstorming and came up with. The lead lowdown. Yes. She's going to give us the lead lowdown. Nice. On what happens on the road, because in this case, what happens on the road doesn't stay on the road. It Yo, comes to our podcast. I
1: like That's a Do good like tagline for Do the like lead that?
0: lowdown. We just need sponsorship. Well, yeah. I agree. <laughs> we don't want it to be like Neato, stand are available. We, <laughs> but yeah, right. <laughs> we want it to be lead yeah. lowdown with a sponsor. Brought to you by. Yep. We need it. Well, this week,
1: the road wasn't exactly the road because my TNT game was in Atlanta, which was so nice to go to bed in my own bed, to wake up in my own bed and to drive to work like, well, I guess just like normal people drive to their jobs. <laughs> Either way, I had the Hawks and Heat game. And I was so struck by Jimmy Butler. We talked about his having his firstborn child before the season started. It wasn't Days before the season started, or weeks before the season started, it was hours before the season started. Some of our conversation struck me because it goes back to what you and I talked about in episode one of this podcast in that women go for weeks and months without returning to the game they're paid to play, whereas men are expected to give up those experiences to be part of those games. And so, as Jimmy and I were sitting down, I asked him about that day. He told me that, you know, it's opening night. He had already picked out his outfit. He called Coach Spolstra and was like, here's what's going on. The baby's coming. She's on her way to the hospital, but I'm on my way to the game. I want you to know where my focus is. But Coach Spo said, no, you're not coming to this game and you're not coming to the next one either. And I talked to Coach Spo after Jimmy told me that story. And he told me, I just said to Jimmy, I would have regretted it forever had I missed the birth of my child. And so what I said to Jimmy was that, do you realize by making this decision, you could start to change the narrative surrounding male athletes when they decide to step down, when they decide to step away. And instead of your value being defined by how much you're willing to give up for a basketball game, you could start to redefine what actually matters. And he told me that it was as if God himself said, you're focused on the less important thing, and this is about to be everything. And I think that that's
0: a huge stride in the correct direction. And you look at the way women are fighting for maternity rights and you know time off and, and you look at one of my great friends Allison Felix and what she's done with even a Nike or just sponsorship in terms of maternity leave but not much is said about how important it is for for fathers to be there and to experience that and I think it changes the narrative of expectations because as a guy, provide for the family this is my job this is my duty but now you're seeing and I think it started with this generation. I mean, even Jason Kidd bringing his kid up on the podium. You see Steph Curry with Riley all the time. <laughs> that
1: went well. Like yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, you know, my it was... My favorite it was, podium it was, kid. It really yeah. is my favorite
0: p- podium kid. Ever. Yeah. That soundbite was hilarious. Yeah, like, he was to- yeah. totally human in that, in that soundbite. Yeah. I mean, she brought him down to human. But that's what dads are, and that's what they should be. Now, wearing a Baby Bjorn and a burpee on your shoulder is cool. And I think it's been people seeing people like jimmy butler everyday dads and yeah. how important it is for them to be there for their kids i i think it's moving the needle and it's definitely getting a lot of conversation and
1: helping to reprioritize where basketball lies in a basketball player's life because it is only one element of
0: life it's true so true
1: NBA, No Basketball Allowed. This is going to be a segment where we just take a look at the world outside of the NBA. We focus so much on the players, the personalities of the NBA, and this is going to give us a chance to go into life outside of the league. The Washington Nationals won the World Series last week. They've had their visit to the White House. Candace, the Mystics won the WNBA championship last month, and they've yet to be invited.
0: And... The Seattle Storm won the year before. Guess what, Kristen? They weren't invited. Mm -hmm. And before that, we lost in Game Five to the Lynx, and they were not invited to the White House. And then the year before that, the Sparks won. Our team won. It was during the Obama administration, so it was kind of a changeover. So we didn't get invited, but Obama wrote us a note. And obviously, Trump didn't have to invite us because you know we it, it wasn't during his tenure. In the last, I don't know, four teams that have won the championship have not been invited to the White House. What is the criteria? Because it was initially
1: conceived as an idea to honor the sport's best. And if the WNBA champion is not the Best in women's basketball, What's but Kirsten, the they're for the invite? in
0: the same city. That was my issue. This with is it as three well. championships that have happened in the same city. I'm not even talking, listen, we're not going political. That's not what I want to do. People can agree, disagree, go to the White House based on political beliefs. Don't go. I don't care. But an invitation to two of the three teams that have won within a city, and one of them happens to be a women's professional sports league. And in the last four years of that same Women's Professional Sports League, none of the teams have been invited to the White House. I I just think that that's that's not fair. Well, so I did a little digging, and I found Lindsay Gibbs' Power Plays newsletter.
1: She, on Sunday, decided that she was going to visit eight different sporting goods stores. I'm not going to name them all, but there were eight different ones. She found zero Washington Mystics championship, I mean, gear of any kind, Given she's in D.C., every single one of those sporting goods stores told her that not only was it not available, it had never been available. So my question is, I think a little deeper, which is that uh, why is it that the powers that be in the sports industry have not made the investment have clearly sent the message that we're not only going to make it difficult for fans of women's sports to be able to represent these women's sports, but we're going to make it even more difficult for those
0: fans that we might ultimately attract. Well, Kristen, do you know how many times there's been people that have come up to me at random games, random places, I wish I could find your jersey. I wish I could order your jersey. And it goes along with, okay, maybe your rally cries, people don't watch the WNBA. Maybe that's what you're saying. But when you're talking about watching women's soccer, which was one of the most watched games in the history,, yeah.
1: and those, everybody
0: was supporting it yes, those jerseys weren't available and Nike made how many jerseys one thousand they made one thousand jerseys, and millions of fans wanted their jerseys, so to me, I think the argument is not like that fans don't want it, I think it's not accessible, and with saying that, I'm not just pointing a finger at a lack of invitations to the White House, I'm pointing the finger and I guess it's more of a challenge of like, let's get it right. Let's make it right. This isn't a woman's rally cry. Let's just make things make sense. That'll do it for episode two.
1: Thank you all for listening, for subscribing, and thanks to our friend Charles Barkley for joining us.
0: And make sure you subscribe to Ledlow and Parker. We'll see you next week.